Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of the J.D. Rucker Show. The J.D. Rucker Political Report is we're calling it on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the radio version of my show. Those who listened to the last show, I think it was the last show. It might have been the show before that. Know that we are strongly, strongly contemplating doing a unique show, a separate two-hour show that's going on radio only, basically, where you don't have to look in my face. You can just... Listen to the sound of my voice and hear the the uh, a different set of news. It's not going to be the same news. It's not going to be the same show. We'll be talking about certain things on on the two hour radio show, and we'll be talking about different things on the the two hour two hour uh, video version of the JD Rucker show. That is the intention, at least. And so that's four hours a day, Monday through Friday. We're on at eight p.m. eight p.m. Eastern time. For two hours, Monday through Friday at AmericaOutloud.com. That's this show. And then we're also on uh, on Rumble and Red Red Voice Media and Freedom First Network and Brideon and BitChute and Apple Podcasts and all those various places starting at 2 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday for two hours. And that, of course, is the, the video version of the show. Again, Different topics. Obviously, some days we'll be talking about the same topic. If there's four hours worth of discussion to be had on a single topic, then by golly, we'll do it. And if there's eight hours, we'll cover it for two days. Uh, those who have been listening to the show for a long time know that I am very capable of talking about a single subject for for 10 hours straight, if need be, if the subject warrants it. I don't add fluff, but I also don't don't hold back. For the sake of time, we try to just keep going, and that has caused a it's caused a, a a timing challenge sometimes for for my producers who they tell me you know you, we get you eight ten fifteen stories and I go through and I read them all and then by the time we're done two hours into it I've I've covered the first two or three that that actually happens a lot and it's not because I just talk and talk and talk randomly I believe that the information that I impart the discussions that we have and the the comments that i receive from you all from the most intelligent audience in the world they help me to to just keep going you know it's (laughs) it is what it is so we're going to be doing some screen capture i do want to make sure that people can can follow along if you are watching the video i don't want it to just be you know just blank screen and you're you're listening that that's fine but we will, at least with the stories that we're covering, the videos that we post on the audio version, you'll only be able to hear it. But on the video version, you'll at least be able to see what I'm seeing on my screen. Right now, I have discernreport.com, for example, called up. And that's a that's a website that I've created recently. As many of you know, most of you know, I'm sure, I am the editor over at thelibertydaily.com, which is a news aggregator, the conservative alternative to the Drudge Report. And as editor over there, I have to go through and read tons and tons of headlines and and quite a few stories just to be able to, to populate the 100 to 150 and sometimes more stories that we publish over at thelibertydaily.com on a daily basis. Discernreport.com is going to be slightly different. We're not going to be posting that many. Some days I'll post 20. Some days I'll post 30. Some days I'll post 50. I might post 100 or 150 if it's just a heavy news day. But it's it's uh it's more likely that i'm just going to post the articles that i believe are mission critical yeah i love posting over the liberty daily because i get to post articles 
about you know oftentimes strange things you know things that aren't necessarily mission critical but that people really enjoy reading and i can tell through the statistics that that you guys do like reading that stuff stuff that that is uh, i i don't want to call it fodder but that you know it's just it's just interesting it's not anything that that really has a um, has a reason for us to make changes in our lives or to see various threats that we might not be seeing today, maybe threats that are coming in the future, just as an example of some of the headlines that I have over at uh, discernreport.com right now. The, the top story we have is Trump suggests Biden provoked Putin into invading Ukraine. Having an understanding of that, and that article comes from the post-millennial, having an understanding of, of what I've believed for a long time, which is that the Biden-Harris regime, under the orders of the the globalist elite cabal, you know, the World Economic Forum, the Council for Inclusive Capitalism, Bill Gates, George Soros, Barack Obama, Klaus Schwab, and all those bad guys that they have, and they, I wouldn't say they necessarily initiated, but they at least prompted and provoked Putin to do what he did. And we know with an absolute certainty that at least that is partially true, because even Vladimir Zelensky himself, in a in a rare moment of truthfulness, shortly after the invasion, he went on CNN. And he was talking to them, and he explained to them that long before Russia invaded Ukraine, he was talking to NATO. He was talking to the Biden-Harris regime. He was talking to them all, and they told him, they specifically told him, you, Ukraine, will never be in NATO. But we don't want anyone else to know that. As far as the rest of the world is concerned, the possibility of Ukraine being in NATO is still on the table. And he said that the way that they explained it to him was that is a way to to keep Russia from invading. Now, obviously, that was a lie. They're not stupid, okay? They are not stupid. They know that one of Putin's red lines was that he wanted to make sure that Ukraine never joined NATO. So if they had come out back in January of last year and they said, hey, you know, we've strongly considered it. We We know that Ukraine has needs. But we are not going to allow them into NATO. Had they said that said that in January, I truly do not believe that Putin would have invaded in February. Now, maybe that's not true. Maybe Putin still would have invaded, and then at which point, you know, Zelensky would have been like, "Oh, you guys were right," you know. But after the after the invasion, he was just like, "Wow," you know. They told me not to say anything about the fact that that they were not going to allow us allow Ukraine into NATO. They said, "Don't don't tell anybody that. Keep the." Keep it on the table. Uh, they said that, that was going to prevent Putin from invading, and yet he did. So obviously they were wrong, or they were stupid, or he was manipulated, or whatever. We know this is fact. This is not you know some crazy conspiracy theory. This is this is Vladimir Zelensky being interviewed on CNN. Okay, we we have the video. I don't actually have it in front of me. I wasn't planning on talking about that, but but uh, <laughs> you get the idea. That's this is the types of stories that we'll be posting. Over at discernreport.com, the elitists, communications, counter-revolution, great story over at America, American greatness. Uh, Matt Gates explaining uh, via, this is an article by my good friend Kyle Becker, who I've interviewed in the past and should probably interview again in the future. He was explaining that, uh, you know, Matt Gates revealing what the the GOP rebels, what the, the Freedom Caucus was able to get in exchange for allowing Kevin McCarthy to be Speaker of the House. Because here's the thing. If they didn't want to, if they 
if they said, you know what, absolutely positively, it doesn't matter what McCarthy gives us, we are not going to vote for him. The only other way that McCarthy could have ever possibly been Speaker of the House would have been to find, oh, is it 17 Democrats who would be willing to to uh, vote for him? And the way that the Democrats had positioned themselves, they were they were going they were trying to to take advantage of the division within the Republican Party. And there's they kept saying, "Look, there are twelve hundred and eleven eleven people. Look, we're we're totally just united. We are we are in great shape, united, and and all that good stuff." So, so yeah, you know, <laughs> they uh, they were never going to vote for him. Most likely, maybe after a few weeks, maybe they would have been like, "Okay, so let's go ahead and get McCarthy in there, or else we're going to risk getting Jim Jim Jordan or Andy Biggs or somebody in there." Maybe that could have happened, but I don't think so. I think that they would have ended up if the Freedom Caucus had stuck to their guns. They would have ended up with uh, Steve Scalise, for example, as a as a viable, you know, call him um, more conservative than than McCarthy, but less conservative than Andy Biggs, okay? He would have been a kind of a middle-of-the-road consensus candidate, and I think he would have been the Speaker of the House. But they didn't. They didn't push that far, and maybe they never wanted to. Maybe that was the plan. I don't know. But they did get a lot out of McCarthy to, in exchange for their allowing him to be Speaker of the House. Now we get to see what's going to happen from here. But you can go through. Look, there's, we put... I put a lot of stories, not as many as I do over at the Liberty Daily, but I do put a lot of stories up over at discernreport.com. It's a relatively new site, but it is working. At least we think it's working. Traffic is going up. People are leaving comments. It looks good so far. It's so far. It's, it seems to be okay. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how it plays out. So stop me if you've heard this one, Okay. Yeah, I got a joke for you. The deep state, the police state, and the nanny state walk into a bar. Okay, that's it. There's no punchline. That's that's the whole joke. And it's not a joke because it's not funny at all. But it is exactly what's happening here in 2023. One of the articles that I'm going to be discussing is one by John and Nisha Whitehead over at the Rutherford Institute. They are uh, they're absolutely amazing writers. They have been for a long time. And the article that I, I've read, I'll agree with about 95% of it. I'd say 90 to 95% of it. You know, they look, we're never going to get complete consensus. If we do, by the way, if, if you sit there and you think, oh my gosh, you know, I'm listening to Charlie Kirk and I agree with absolutely everything he says every day, or I'm listening to JD Rucker and I agree with absolutely 100% of everything he says every day, then you're doing it wrong because we shouldn't all always agree. We shouldn't seek absolute purity of 100% agreement on everything. Yeah, for me to agree with 90, 95% of what John and Nisha White had put out, that's a great thing. Okay. I respect people that I only agree with 70 or 80% of the time, but, but that's, that's how we have to move forward. There are certain things. I think we all have certain issues where we'll never, never break from, you know, just for me, for example, I am a Bible believing Christian. That's not saying that I can't, yeah, I've got Jewish friends. I've got Muslim friends. I've got, you know, one of my, uh, one of my, I, I don't want to call them. I guess contact. He's a friend, but really he's a political contact in Arizona. He is, uh, you know, we talk semi regularly. And he's he's uh, he's Muslim, you know, but he's he's a patriot. He's a conservative. He does he does what's necessary to to promote 
America first conservatism in the state of Arizona and across the the planet. I can be friends with and even allies with non-Christians, but when it comes to adopting a worldview, my worldview is based upon the Bible. My worldview is based upon the belief that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. So that's a red line for me. Anybody who is going to attack that worldview or denounce that worldview aggressively, they, they don't have to agree with it. Okay, that and people who don't agree with my worldview as far as it pertains to the Bible, I I view all of those people as opportunities. Maybe maybe I can talk them into or or point them in the right direction to where maybe they can convert, maybe they can see the truth. You know, so I don't want to. I, I don't expect that everybody that I deal with they always have to be just Bible believing Christians. You know, very staunch conservative Christians. That's not the case. But as far as in discussions, as far as in in how we we mold our worldview and how we operate in this world, I do hold that as as a a red line. Anybody who crosses that line, and how would you cross that line? For example, if they were to say, you know what, we need to limit religious freedom, and they might come up with a some sort of semi you know, faux conservative reasoning for that. Okay, just just take take religion out completely out of the public square and make it a, a private only affair. I don't agree with that. I think that you should be able to express your religious views anywhere and everywhere. I believe that you should be able to hold your religious uh, your religious beliefs at the highest possible level, higher than even you know, certain. I guess you say, could say statutes. Just as an example, I don't think that a baker should be forced to to uh, bake a cake for whatever, for a gay marriage, as an example. Just as I would not expect a a Muslim baker to, to bake a Hanukkah cake, okay? I would not say, oh, hey, bake the cake, you bigot. That's the, the, if, if, the, if we're going to be able to continue to practice our faith, those of us who are Bible-believing Christians, and that means that from a political perspective, we must defend the rights of others to to uh, embrace and to to enact their own faiths. As long as it doesn't break the law, you know, I, I don't expect. Obviously, I'm not going to defend a religion that says, "Okay, so uh, so you know, based on our religious beliefs, we need to we need to sacrifice children." <laughs> and if you don't let us, then you're denying our religious freedom. No, <laughs> there are limits. And the limits are obviously the law, but as long as a a uh, faith based institution or practice does not break the law, and and with us understanding that there's a difference between laws and statutes, okay, there's a difference between between a a law that is designed to prevent harm and another law that's designed to to prevent, for example, you know, in inequity, right? Like if somebody were to say, well, you know, this church must hire a certain quota of Muslims in order to operate as a, no, that's ludicrous, okay? Or this mosque must hire a certain number of Christians in order, no, no. There are limits to inclusion. There are limits to equity. And we need to erase the vast majority of what's being imposed on our society, but back to the story today. You know, I've got that story by John and uh, Nisha Whitehead. I do want to talk about the the McCarthy situation, how we need to move forward. An article that I posted over the weekend 
over at, uh, well, everywhere, the Liberty Daily, the CernReport.com, AmericaFirstReport.com, a lot of the various places where I write, yeah, I explain that there are certain things. If if we're going to be shifting from the position of you know opposing McCarthy, now we have to shift to holding his feet to the fire. These are the five promises, and technically there's six. I had a bonus one in there. But these are the five things that we need to watch as we go forward with Kevin McCarthy holding the gavel as Speaker of the House. So uh, I want to discuss that one. There's an article by Brandon Smith over at Alt Market that brilliantly explains the need and the the pathway forward for us to start developing parallel economies, to start developing localized economies with the anticipation that here in the very near future they are going to impose a digital a digital dollar. Central bank digital currencies are spreading; they're growing very quickly, and they are going to become normalized here very soon, probably in 2023. So we don't have much time. We have to act quickly if we are going to oppose that system and if we are going to still be allowed able to survive, basically. If we are not going to be beholden to government and, and uh, lorded over by government, if we are going to be independent and free, then we will have to start building these parallel economies. We have to start taking advantage and then becoming more self-reliant and get away from the, the government dole that's been normalized lately so after the break we'll start with this article by john and nisha whitehead so stay tuned anyone who's familiar with my show or listened to my show before knows that i am a a very huge proponent of preparedness uh, I haven't always been. I didn't become a prepper until really 2021. But since then, I've been working diligently to find companies that offer the things that we need. And if the crap hits the fan, I want to be ready for it. And I want you to be ready for it, too. I picked up some sponsors for long-term storage food, for precious metals, for, for solar power. I've got a candle sponsor. We've got, you know, uh, antibiotics for for storage, just in case the... The pharmaceutical supply chain goes down. We got med kits, nutraceuticals, uh, natural survival. We got guns and ammo. You can buy them, buy them by going to jdrucker.com slash prepare, jdrucker.com slash prepare. Bug out bags, the works. So, so stock up now while you still can. Two of my favorite authors out there right now are John and Nisha Whitehead. They, I'm assuming, are a married couple. I've never met them. I've uh, never spoken to them. But I've read their stuff. I read their, their weekly columns, and they're usually fantastic. I don't agree 100%, but I don't agree 100% with anybody in particular. So I would say I agree with them more than I don't. Their article is titled, What to Expect from the Government in 2023? More of the same is their answer. And I like to look at this as a combination, a, a merging of various types of states. You have the the deep state, which is an actual organized entity, or you could call it a series of entities. You have the police state, which really isn't an entity as much as it is a process. It's a state of being. It's the state in which many in the deep state and the globalist elite cabal and the radical left and the neo-Marxists, they want a police state. And then you have the nanny state, which is really more of an ideology, the idea that 
that uh, the lesser people, the the useless useless people, us, okay, the, the useless eaters, the whatever you want to call us, the semi-useful and usually not useful at all idiots of the world, the 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 common man, us, we are we need to be told exactly what to do and how to do it. We are too stupid or too evil or too everything else to make decisions on our own. And therefore we need the nanny state to come in and, and tell us what we can and cannot do, what we should and should not do. And uh, with a whole lot of emphasis on what we're not allowed to do to me, the three of those concepts are merging together, merging together in 2023 in a way that we have not seen before, because Let's face it, the deep state, they like to work in shadows. What we've seen recently is that they're coming out of the shadows. I mean, let's call it what it is. The the CAA, the NSA, the intelligence community in general, and even outside of the intelligence, within the military-industrial complex, everything that they're doing in Ukraine, everything that they're doing with our taxpayer dollars, fighting, trying to push a war with, with Russia, everything we're doing with China. I mean, our foreign policy in general has gone from from uh, you know, semi-lukewarm neoconservatism to a full-blown warmongering st- status. And this, to me, is it's, a very, it's very foreboding to know that this is taking place right before our eyes. So when I look at articles like this, when I see what's happening in the world, I realize that it is the merging of these three concepts, the deep state, the police state, and the nanny state that are coming together and forming a dangerous, perfect storm of totalitarianism. Yeah, we can call it the rise of authoritarianism, but this is actually true tyranny. We could call it about the suppression of our rights, but this is actually turning into true oppression. We are, the groundwork is being set for you and me to be oppressed, for the U.S. government to finally, finally come out as tyrannical. We, we were fighting back and we were doing so well. Or at least we thought we were. And they slammed the door, multiple doors on us, in our faces, really since late 2019. And I'm sure the groundwork for the series of events that we've experienced over the last three and a half years, the groundwork was was uh, was done, was, was put into place. The foundation was laid long before 2019. I think, hopefully, you all have been listening long enough to be aware, if you're new, by the way, then uh, number one, there you go. Know that the groundwork has been been laid for for quite a long time. But number two, make sure to subscribe. We are doing our best to advance this show, to grow the show, and we've had some amazing blessings. We've got some great, great, fantastic interviews coming up here in the next couple of weeks. I've got Carrie Lakes coming coming back on. I've got uh, Bryson Gray. Uh, coming back on, uh, we're talking to Roger Stone. Gosh, I don't even have have the whole list in front of me. Of we're going to start doing a lot more interviews because yeah, I can talk for two hours. I could talk for eight hours straight, but that's not necessarily going to help us to grow. So, point being is, let's get back to this article, uh, which I do believe represents the merging of three principles, three concepts, in many ways, three direct organizations with the deep state, the police state, and the nanny state. 
For those wondering what to expect from the government in 2023, it looks like we're going to be in for more of the same in terms of government's brand of madness, mayhem, and corruption and brutality. Then we go into a list. I'm going to go through this list very fast. Um, I will leave the link in the show notes. You'll be able to find it over at discernreport.com, over at americafirst.com, americafirstreport.com, I should say. And uh, you can always follow along there. Uh, number one, and these aren't numbers. I'm just going to go down the list. But the first one is digital prisons. Unseasonally, the government and its corporate partners are pushing for a national digital ID system. Local police agencies have already been given access to facial recognition software and databases containing 20 billion images, the precursor to a digital ID. Eventually, a digital ID will be required to gain access to all aspects of life, government, work, travel, healthcare, financial services, shopping, etc. For long, the biometrics, that's the iris scan, face print, voice, DNA, etc., will become the de facto digital ID. Now, this is nothing new. Look, if you've been following any conspiracy theories over the last last two and a half decades, you would know that this is the direction that we're heading. I think that the point here, the point that John and Nisha Whitehead are trying to make is that this isn't the, the future. This is now. This is happening right now. You know, the, the Idaho murders. Did you know this is not talked about nearly enough? Did you know that they were basically able to verify, to confirm the evidence they were able to collect? They, they were able to get, obviously, a lot of DNA data, for, uh, DNA samples, I should say, unfortunately, from the crime scene of the four students that were murdered in, in Idaho. The way they were able to cross-reference it and determine that uh, in, you know, mixed in with all the blood and guts or whatever else, all that, that DNA mixed in with that was the suspect's DNA. And they were able to determine that by cross-referencing it against a DNA collection service that he had used. Well, I, I don't even, what is it? There's Ancestry.com. I know that one. I think there's something with the number 21. I don't do them, obviously. I'm not sending anybody my DNA. I'm, I won't take a COVID test, okay? Because I don't want anybody to have access to my DNA ever. Well, they use this. They use that, that technology, and they use the Apparently, the suspect had gone through one of those services, given his DNA, and they cross-referenced it. The, the, the police did. The FBI did. This is the direction we're heading, folks. So face prints, iris scans, voice checks, DNA, it's happening, and they will be. They, you will be, they will be able to tell who you are based upon all these things. You're not just going to have to have a smartphone. They don't have to put in a RFID chip. They'll be able to put just basically put like a stamp on your on your wrist or on your arm that you can't see. Okay. We'll just stamp you. That's all you need. That's the, the verified guarantee. And then of course they'll be able to, that's to, to get into the major stuff for the minor stuff. Okay. For like, just making sure that you're allowed to be wherever you're supposed to be going. They'll use facial recognition. There's so many different avenues here. And the technology is rising and they are going to use it. Let's move on. I don't want to dwell on that one too long. Pre-crime. Under the pretext of helping overwhelmed government agencies work more efficiently, AI predictive and surveillance technologies are being used to classify, segregate, and flag the populace with little concern for privacy rights or due process. All of this sorting, sifting, and calculating 
is being done swiftly, secretly, and incessantly with the help of AI technology and a surveillance state that monitors your every move. AI predictive tools are being deployed in almost every area of life. And he doesn't really mention here, but one of the, the big concerns here with this concept of pre-crime is that they'll be more, mon- and they, they're already doing this, by the way. So they'll be able to say, okay, so these are the traits, for example, of somebody who turns into a domestic terrorist. These are the traits of somebody that turns into a, a um, whatever, a, 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 a serial rapist or whatever. You know, or hey, these are the traits of somebody that turns into a ultra ultra mega Republican, you know, and we know that they are the, that's the common denominator that we want to get rid of. The point being is that they are already using AI. They are already using, I believe, and they want to come out and say this yet, but I believe they're already using quantum computing to be able to tap into and have a clear understanding of who we are and what direction. We may end up going in our lives or just even in our day-to-day activities. All of this, you know, this, this concept, when we talk about pre-crime, I think everybody jumps to Minority Report. That was the Tom Cruise movie. I think it was Spielberg. Was it Spielberg that did it? It was based upon an old, uh, an old uh, short story. But the concept is legitimate. And you don't need these psychic people for whatever the the people who are in the water i don't remember the, the details but <laughs> it's been a long time since i saw that movie i, I everybody was jumping on it sounds great i thought it was okay i mean it was it was decent I, I didn't watch it the second time that's for sure whatever maybe i should maybe maybe now that i'm more awake maybe i should look into it and see i just remember they're walking through he's walking through that store and they're scanning his eyes and he's getting served all these advertisements that are personal to him and i thought that's really creepy I thought that was creepy and not the whole uh, whatever. Okay, you get the idea. So, so that's I think where people have had their you know, head tied to when we think of pre-crime. But pre-crime isn't just about you know trying to find and arrest criminals. It's about classifying us. So this is the most important component here. Using this wealth of data they have on us, this data they're collecting more and more of every day through smart homes, smart devices, through listening devices. Oh. Oh, no, we don't store any of that. No, we don't. You know, we don't know who has access through the back end that we, you know, uh, I mean, the NSA said, hey, trust this guy. And he did. And he installed some kind of software. We don't know what it does. But supposedly it's supposed to keep us safe from Iranian hackers or something. So we're good. You know, <laughs> or even China. It doesn't have to be the NSA. There's bad guys outside of our government, too. I just want to want to be clear about that. So, but it is a concern and it's a growing concern. And again, as John and Nisha Whitehead say, this is, we're going to expect more. It's just going to increase and get worse in 2023. Next one, mandatory quarantines building and uh, on precedents established during the COVID-19 pandemics. Government agents may be empowered to indefinitely detain anyone they suspect of posing a medical risk to others without providing an explanation. Subject them to medical tests without their consent and carry out such detentions and quarantines without any kind of due process or judicial review. In other words, do exactly what's already happening in communist China. But it's worse than that. Do what's already happening in many ways in allegedly non-communist Australia, allegedly non-communist Canada, allegedly non-communist France. Folks, this isn't just, you know, we, we like to hear these things and we say, oh, you know, that's what they're doing in, in North Korea or that's what they're doing in, 
in China or Iran or wherever. It's, that's not going to happen here, except it is. Number one, it is happening here in the United States. To some extent, they are, again, laying the groundwork for this to start happening. But we are also seeing from a, from a Western society perspective that supposedly free nations are embracing these, these, these ideas, embracing these laws, embracing these, these mandatory everything, mandatory vaccines, mandatory face masks, and yes, mandatory quarantines. The moment anybody starts mentioning, you know, FEMA camps, FEMA camps, everybody jumps off and the normies are like, oh my gosh, here's one of those FEMA camp stories once again. You know, I laugh. I no, I shouldn't say I laugh because I don't, because it's more of a sadness. I I chuckle morosely, I guess, is the best way to put it, at these people that are like, oh, you know, the FEMA camp thing, that's just all a conspiracy theory, except throughout our history, for the last at least seven decades, we have seen variations of the the supposed FEMA camp conspiracy theories. We've seen variations of them take place. We've seen variations of this type of Paranoid totalitarianism. I should say, I should say paranoid, paranoia driven totalitarianism. People are willing to give up almost anything if it's going to keep them safe. I and mean, we as a nation, and I don't know if it's just us, maybe this is the case across the globe. I don't know. But I know for sure that we as Americans, we are willing to give up anything, anything for safety. I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about me. Okay. I'm not talking about the freedom loving audience, the freedom loving minority. In the United States, it's sad that I have to say that, but I would say that most Americans, even many quote unquote conservative Americans or Christian Americans, many of us are willing to let freedoms go in exchange for safety. That's a dangerous, dangerous trend. That's something that I think scares me more than anything government does. You know, we, I believe, obviously, as a as a Bible believing Christian, I know that God can do anything. But I, below that, I believe that those of us who are empowered by our freedoms, if we work together, utilize our intellect, utilize our passion, we can overcome any of this stuff. Unfortunately, ever since January sixth, ever since the lockdowns, and it is long before the January sixth riots, by the way, because I can tell you a story about how disappointed I was. When I went to a lockdown protest that was nothing, okay? Major city, major city hall, major money behind it. There was lots lots of announcements, and I go there, you know, and there's more media than people. Why is that? This is before January 6th. That was a wake-up call, folks. And granted, I'm out here in California. I get it. But even out here in California, we've seen some great, some fantastic rallies. You should have seen some of the uh, some of the uh, uh, anti-vax mandate rallies. They were strong. But early on, during the early early days of 2020, shortly after the lockdowns were extended beyond two weeks, oh man, it was ugly. So no, I am not. I am not as scared of government as I am scared of our fellow American brothers and sisters falling in line, not willing to help, and even worse, falling in line and perhaps getting themselves favors by throwing us under the bus, by exposing us, tattling on us, by testifying against us. Yeah, no, he was definitely growing his own food. 
I saw it. I I got pictures. You know, he he did not he did not submit to the uh, to the uh, mandatory moratorium on growing tomatoes in his backyard. He was eating. He was growing his own tomatoes. He was eating them. Yep. 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 That is a huge, huge concern to me, at least, and it should be to you too. After the break. We're going to continue with this list. I wasn't expecting this to be a multi-segment list. By golly, John and Nisha Whitehead have really just just sparked my interest and chapped my khaki. So you guys stay tuned, and we will be right back to the J.D. Rucker Show. So let's be honest, the vast majority of long-term storage, survival food, prepper food, is just awful. I mean, it just tastes tastes really, really bad. And uh, that's why they expect us to to eat during the, the apocalypse. Well, if the crap hits the fan, I'm going to actually be eating good food. I go to LatePrepper.com, a website that I built based upon two partnerships, the two companies that produce actually really good food. No need to set up a bulk discount. Doesn't matter whether you buy one or ten. There's no no hidden fees here. As a matter of fact, we charge the same price that the the source companies charge. The difference is we actually have exclusive discounts. Use promo code PREP2023 for 10% off, or for the you big spenders, use code PREP2030 for 15% off on orders of $777 or more. Go to LatePrepper.com and eat well for the apocalypse. It shouldn't surprise me, it shouldn't have surprised me, that an article by John and Nisha Whitehead would take longer than one segment to to read, and more importantly, to unpack, because I, when I read it the first time, I should have should have realized I should probably dedicate more than one segment, maybe even more than two segments. We're going to go through it, because this is important stuff. Um, I don't like to dwell on one topic for too long. That's what the, the feedback that I've been getting. People say, oh, you know, talk radio, and... Uh, Videos, we, we want you to just buzz through them real quick. Well, it's not my style, but I'm trying to be at least a little bit less verbose. So to that end, let's keep going with the list. The next one is mental health assessment by non-medical personnel. <laughs> that right there, that statement is already very idiotic. Uh, but we already know that that's exactly what happens. Yeah, whatever. As a result of, nas- of a nationwide push to train a broad spectrum of so-called gatekeepers in mental health first aid training, more Americans are going to run the risk of being reported by non-medical personnel and detained for having mental health issues. In other words, they're going to say that you're crazy because you believe in freedom. They're going to say that you should be locked up because you don't want to get jabbed. They're going to say, oh, I say they're going to, they already are. But unfortunately, what John and Nisha Whitehead are suggesting is that the powers that be uh, in, in law enforcement and medical law enforcement, which is a rising thing here in the United States of America, they are going to to take the advice of non-medical personnel and and perhaps lock you up, detain you, have you checked out to see if you're really sane or if you're going to go do something silly. So, yeah, great. Next one, tracking chips for citizens. Yay! You know, my, I'm, for those who are new to the show, I'm relatively new to this whole 
conspiracy theory thing. Like prior to prior to the uh, lockdowns, I was of the mind that you know what, there are definitely conspiracies, and there's some pretty bad stuff. But I sincerely doubt that Paul McCartney was actually died in the 1960s and was replaced by a doppelganger, so that so that the music industry could continue to feed off of the Beatles. I didn't think that was true. And to be clear, I still don't think that's true. But with that said, <laughs> there are a lot more conspiracy theories that are quickly turning into conspiracy facts here in, well, last year in 2022 and now into 2023. We are learning that the conspiracies are wider ranging than oftentimes even people like Alex Jones had warned us about for over the last couple of decades. So with that said, uh, the whole RFID chip thing, I always thought to myself, you know, that's pretty darn clunky. If that's going to be the mark of the beast, if that's going to be the way that they're going to uh, to initiate a one world currency or a one world whatever, you know, one world governance of any sort, a digital ID that's embedded into your hand, it just, I didn't buy it, Okay. With that said, I do buy the idea that the this type of technology, whether it is an RFID chip or whether it's a, you know, they have these stamps that they can, they're, they're permanent stamps and you can't even see them unless it's under a certain light. They can stamp your head, stamp your hand, and these stamps have data all about you. Call it like a like a personal QR code or barcode or whatever you want to call it. There's a lot of things they can do today and of course tomorrow they're going to do more and even today there's probably things that we have no idea they can do that they actually can do but one way or the other they're going to figure out ways and they already have figured out ways to track us or in the article momentum is building for corporations and the government alike to be able to track the populace whether through the use of rfid chips embedded in a national id card microscopic chips embedded in one's skin or tags in retail products hmm Interesting. I've got no commentary there. Next one, military involvement domestically. This one I do have commentary about, I assure you. The future, according to Pentagon training videos, will be militaristic, dystopian, and far from friendly to freedom. Indeed, all signs point to the battlefield of the future being the American home front. Anticipating this, the government plans to have the military work in conjunction with local police to quell civil unrest domestically this is where i get into the whole idea of everybody's like oh you know call the national guard call the national guard call the national guard i get it and there are certain times when obviously that is important and that is necessary but i would say at least half the time when we start hearing calls for the national guard to go here and the national guard to go there i cringe because the national guard is the they're basically the the domestic military they're the military here and when you start getting depending on them to participate in law enforcement efforts or let's say border border control efforts there's a difference between defending a border from enemies from an invasion which i do believe that our military is intended to do obviously uh and using the military to stop you know the look i'm going to get myself into a little bit of trouble for saying this as far as amongst my audience because i know that it won't be popular but I don't want the military to stop illegal aliens. I want the Border Patrol to be, if they want to give us 87,000 IRS agents, I say, forget that for multiple reasons. But let's let's get another 100,000 Border Patrol officers. Okay? Let's get, let's get CB, let, let, let's cover 
our southern border with the appropriate measures. And to me, that's not sending in the military. If there were guns and tanks, well, obviously there's guns, but if there were heavy guns and tanks and something that goes beyond, you know, from a violence perspective, from a from a war perspective, that's where the military needs to be in. But I don't want the U.S. military to be running down, you know, some drug smugglers. We have departments for that. Let's strengthen those versus conflating military in uh, defense against invasion versus versus law enforcement defense against invasion. It is an invasion at the southern border, obviously. So I don't want to make it. I don't want to downplay it. But there are. We don't need tanks to stop illegal aliens. As a matter of fact, it wouldn't be effective. But if we did have a whole lot more border patrol agents, border patrol officers, they were trained, equipped to stop the flow, and we build a wall, and we actually deport people. If we do the things that President Trump wanted to do, and many conservatives have wanted to do for a long time, then there would be no need to send the National Guard to the border, and there would be no need to send the National Guard to a whole lot of places. I'm scared of our government using the military against us. I really am. And I think that those days are coming. Unfortunately, we're seeing it more and more and more. And when it happens, it's going to get ugly. So I would like for that to happen later rather than sooner. Next one, threat assessments. The government has a growing list uh, shared with fusion centers and law enforcement agencies of ideologies, behaviors, affiliations, and other characteristics that could flag someone as suspicious and result in their being labeled potential enemies of the state. Before long, every household in America will be flagged as a threat and assigned a threat score. It's just a matter of time before you find yourself wrongly accused, investigated, and confronted by police based on data-driven algorithms or risk assessment called together by a computer program run by artificial intelligence. Now, you see a common theme here in John and Nisha Whitehead's uh, perspective. There's a few things that they're not technically repeating themselves but they do fall into the same basic category when he's talking about pre-crime, when he's talking about tracking chips for citizens, when he's talking about medical, uh, mental health assessments by non-medical personnel, or here when he's talking about threat assessments, it all comes down to they, they being the powers that be, and it's not just government, by the way. It is these public-private partnerships that I've talked about many times, and I'll talk about many times in the future. It's also foreign interests, okay? This is to me, very clearly, this is we, we we know the influence of, for example, George Soros and Open Societies and all of the various, it's not just Open Societies, it's all the various organizations that he participates with, that he funds, that he drives, that are trying to, to pit Americans versus Americans, that are trying to take us down. But then you also have the Council for Inclusive Capitalism, which doesn't get nearly as much attention as the World Economic Forum or George Soros or anything like that. But the Council for Inclusive Capitalism, one of the reasons that they don't get talked about nearly enough is because they they are the tip of the globalist spear. They're the ones that are doing a whole lot more than anybody's talking about. As I said in my opening, there's a lot of things that are coming out into the open today. But there are still many, many things that we have no idea about. And the more we learn about them, the, the scarier it becomes. The Council for Inclusive Capitalism was launched by one of the Rothschilds. It is backed by the Rockefeller Foundation. It is backed by the Vatican. It is backed by the World Economic Forum and the United Nations, of course. It is backed by so many of the globalist elite cabal heads, uh, Barack Obama, 
Bill Gates, they are all involved. And yet you never hear about him. All you hear about is Klaus Schwab, Klaus Schwab, Klaus Schwab. And I get it. He's a bad guy. The World Economic Forum, they're bad guys. But in many ways, I think that they are taking the, the brunt of the attention to cover up for the fact that there are other organizations that are more actively engaged. And I would say that the Council for Inclusive Capitalism is one of those organizations, organizations, maybe the biggest organization when it comes to subverting our our rights and even our lives. They want us separated. They want to know who's a threat and who's not. And when John and Nisha Whitehead are talking about this being a 2023 thing, this has been a thing for a long time. This has been a thing since since right around the Snowden days, okay? It was definitely a thing shortly after the 2016 election, and we saw it play out during the 2020 election itself, as well as the 2022 election. So these aren't new concepts. But what John and Nietzsche are saying, and what I'm saying, is that 2023 appears to be a tipping point for all this stuff to really manifest and start having direct consequences in our lives, more so than we've seen even in 2022, I am a firm believer that 2023 is a tipping point for the United States of America. It is an inflection point. It is a time when we're going to to have to make some very hard choices. Hard choices. This is one of the reasons. I mean, look, prior to 2021, I had no prepper experience. The whole reason that I named my website LatePrepper.com or one of my websites and have a substack at lateprepper.substack.com. The whole reason I built those is because I am a late prepper. But I'm a late prepper for a reason. I did not jump on it early because I didn't think America could fall so fast and so far. But we have, and we continue to plummet. Our freedoms continue to deteriorate. Our livelihoods are being controlled, if not completely eliminated. We are becoming, as a society, more and more beholden to government and the public-private partnerships that are forming across the globe. So to me, yeah, I am now a prepper. I wish I, I mean, if, folks, if, if you guys, if somebody wanted to to donate a million dollars, they can go to J.D. Rucker, or sorry, uh, givesendgo.com slash J.D. Rucker, whether they want to m- donate a bucker or a million bucks or whatever. Yeah, I would love to get out of where I am and move to a more, uh, move away from the city. I always tell people, move out of the city, move away even from the suburbs if you can. We need to be more of an, an agrarian society because the further we are from civilization, it's it's just a delay. It's not that they're not going to find us. They're going to find everybody. But if we can just delay it, maybe we will be able to muster up enough support, muster up an opposition, a revolution even. This, these are my hopes. I don't know what the future holds. I just know that the powers that be are working against us, and that should concern us. And as John and Nisha Whitehead point out, this this uh, this growing list that they're making, that the government is making, if you're listening to this show, chances are you're probably already on it. I'm not trying to, to scare you to death, but I do want to make sure people are aware and awake. And part of that is accepting and acknowledging that our own government is working against us. Next one, war on cash. <laughs> of course, the government and its corporate partners are engaged in a concerted campaign to shift consumers toward a digital mode of con- commerce that can easily be monitored, tracked, tabulated, mined for data, hacked, hijacked, and confiscated when convenient. 
This push for a digital currency dovetails with the government's war on cash, which it has been subtly waging for some time now. In recent years, just the, the mere possession of significant amounts of cash can implicate you in suspicious activities and label you a criminal. I'm not going to, this would be the perfect time to tell people to go to jdrucker.com slash IRA, jdrucker.com slash IRA, but I'm not going to go, I'm not going to do a pitch. I'm just going to say, if you've got wealth or retirement, go there now, please. Next one, expansive surveillance. Do we have time for this one? This is a big one. I think we do. AI surveillance harnesses the power of artificial intelligence and widespread surveillance technology to do what the police state lacks, the manpower and resources resources to do efficiently or effectively. Be everywhere, watch everyone and everything, monitor, identify, catalog, cross-check, cross-reference, and collude. Everything that was once private is now up for grabs to the right buyer. With every new AI surveillance technology that is a Adopted and deployed without any regard for privacy, Fourth Amendment rights and due process, the right of the citizenry, are being marginalized, undermined, and eviscerated. Now, this is surveillance, being able to watch us, not just digitally, because that's people can just avoid that if, if they can, for as long as they can. But watching us when we're out and about doing everything, even watching us outside of our homes, even watching us within our homes. Anybody who's watched or read 1984 knows what, what at least Orwell envisioned. I would, I would argue that what our own government and what the powers that be, the global elite cabal, what they have planned for us is actually far worse than 1984. Okay. 1984, people like to say the, the common quote, you know, 1984 was not supposed to be a, a, a playbook. It wasn't supposed to be a guidebook. It was supposed to be fiction. Well, it still is fiction, folks, because as bad as things were in the book, our trajectory actually points to far worse. The dystopian futures that people like like Aldous Huxley or George Orwell could, could dream up are minimal compared to where we're heading. Because ours actually has more than just there's more than just greed or thirst for power that's driving it. There's actually pure evil. And that's something that was missing from the dystopian futures. You know, things were evil, but the people who were committing those those crimes against humanity didn't realize that they were being evil. They just thought that was how society was supposed to work, at least in their fictional worlds. The, the forces that we are arrayed against us, they're evil. They know they're evil, and that's good for them. They, they like that. They're demonic. Therefore, we must treat them with as much seriousness as we can possibly muster that they represent an existential threat and surveillance is the key for them to be able to achieve their goals we are almost done i don't know if i'll make it through an entire next segment but it'll get into it at least a little bit so so stay tuned we will be right back Folks, if you were listening to this show, watching this show, chances are you have MyPillow products. I'm here to tell you that you need more. And the reason being is, well, twofold. Number one, because there's some amazing sales going on at MyPillow.com right now. But number two, because, frankly, they're hurting. I don't want to, I'm not saying this, I'll probably get in trouble for even saying it, but I can tell you based upon sales, I can tell you based upon 
reactions that I've been receiving from other other show hosts, other other uh, conservative news outlets, that my pillow sales have gone down dramatically. They are hurting, just like the rest of us. I mean, many of us are hurting. Vast majority of us are hurting. But if you can, whether you've got a my pillow or not, take a moment, support this America First company, support Mike Lindell, support the show by going to mypillow.com and using promo code JDR. That's mypillow.com promo code JDR, or call one eight hundred. 862-0382. That's 1-800-862-0382. Promo code JDR. Help out to America First Companies. Folks, the majority of our pharmaceuticals, the ingredients in them, come from China. They are controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. We're already seeing supply chain issues. Pharmacies are running low on a lot of things. And if the crap hits the fan, as a lot of us think it may in the very near future, you will want antibiotics. And the best way to get that is to go to jdrucker.com slash meds. You'll be able to get a teleconference with an actual doctor, and then they'll send you meds. They'll send you like five different versions or types of antibiotics for the different ailments that could that could hit us. These are great for long-term storage. You will you will want them. And <laughs> it's one of those things where if you if you need them, then you'll want them. If you don't need them, then at least you'll have them. So, and here's the thing. If you don't have them, you're almost certainly going to need them at least sometime in the near future. So, jdrucker.com slash meds. During the break, my wife had noted that I need to take a drink, that I, I'm starting to, to stumble over my words. and I, I, It's not that. It's not my throat is dry or, or anything like that. I actually have a little bit of a, some sort of ailment today. I don't know what it is. Hopefully, it's not strep throat. My family had strep throat, was it last month, I believe? Uh, I think it was in December when they had strep throat. Everybody got it but me. And I don't think it's that because it's not necessarily sore. I've just got an odd tickle. So if I, if I, uh, if I slur my words or anything like that, I'm not drunk and no, I'm not, I don't need a drink. It's that, uh, my throat is just a little bit off today. So apologize for that. <clears throat> so next, let's get back to this list. I think we're, <laughs> you know, I first thought it would take one segment. It's already taken two segments. I'm thinking I can finish it in three segments, but is there still a lot to go? So, so let's buzz through this and pay attention. Next one, militarized police having transformed law enforcement or local law enforcement into extensions of the military. The Department of Homeland Security, the Justice Department, and the FBI are moving into the next phase of the transformation, turning the nation's police officers into techno-warriors, complete with iris scanners, body scanners, thermal imagery, imaging Doppler radar devices, facial recognition programs, license plate readers, cell phone extraction software, Stingray devices and so much more. You know, people have been warning about the militarized police for at least three decades now. I mean, I think I was I was still relatively young when I first heard about. Oh, you know, look, the police they have they have little mini tanks and they have Hummers and they got you know got M16s and stuff like that. They're being militarized. Uh, you know, it, it, I well, I wasn't too concerned. You know, my dad, uh, my biological father is a cop or was a cop. Uh, my stepfather was was in in uh, drug law enforcement for a while, and yeah, I've I grew up trusting cops. But those who listened to me in the last show, I had I think revealed for the first time that when I was in high school, one of my considered 
uh, career paths was to get into the FBI, was to go to Quantico. I really have had respect for police my entire life. And the concept of a militarized police, you know, my thought way back then, I guess in the 90s, was, uh, you know, it's not so bad as long as they're they're just going after the bad guys. Maybe it's good that they have, they have better equipment and stuff like that. And then over the years, of course, I've grown much more skeptical, not just of law enforcement. I still have a, a, a strong faith in the decision-making of most in local law enforcement. But we're talking about a militarized FBI, and that terrifies me, you know, especially considering a guy that, that, that three decades ago wanted to be in the FBI, all of a sudden I have they are i'm more concerned about what the fbi does to americans today than i am about uh terrorists you know radical islamic terrorists not that i'm not concerned about them it's just i they they just haven't done much in a long time whereas the fbi does they're doing stuff against us every day and again it's us it's people that that are either law-abiding citizens or or partially lawbreakers. The whole thing with the the whole Whitmer, you know, kidnapping thing. And that's that was clearly a setup. I think that the the case can be made. Obviously, in a proper judiciary, it would have to go through there. But the the case can be made that all the plans that these these boneheads came up with, as far as you know, kidnapping Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, <laughs> the. Uh, that they never would have even come close to initiating them or, or really pursuing them at all if it wasn't for the FBI involvement. If the FBI, FBI informants and, and uh, inserts and trolls and whatever hadn't been involved, then perhaps these guys wouldn't have done anything more than just complain around a campfire one night and say, oh, you know, somebody should do something about it. Well, maybe we should. Madge, give me another beer. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't there. So maybe maybe I'm completely wrong. But it seems as if more and more between January 6th and everything that we're seeing that the FBI, it's like they don't have enough crimes. So they're trying to create crimes. Or I mean, they do have plenty of crimes they should be investigating, but they don't they're not going after the right people, the political people that they want to go after. They want to go after conservatives. They want to go after anybody who shares our Judeo-Christian faith. They want to go after patriots. They want to go after the people that might be a threat to the dystopian society that the that the powers that be want to create. They're, they've used the military. I mean, the, they've used a militarized, not the military, but they're, that's next. <laughs> but they've used a militarized and corrupted FBI to do just that. So yeah, it, that does concern me quite a bit uh, for obvious reasons. Next one, police shootings of unarmed citizens. Owning in large part to the militarization of local law enforcement agencies, not a week goes by without more reports of hair-raising incidents by police imbued with take-no-prisoners attitude and a battlefield approach to the communities in which they serve. Police brutality and the use of excessive force continues unabated. So, I, as I said in the beginning, I agree with John and Nisha Whitehead most of the time. This is one where, no, I don't think this is true. I don't think that things are getting worse as far as local police shooting more unarmed citizens. I would say that it's the exact opposite. I would say that the defund police movement has in many ways neutered police, both physically as well as their ranks, You know, the, the number of police there are, as well as psychologically. We've all, hopefully, we've all, I, I say hopefully just so that you guys are aware of it, not that I like this, but we have 
all seen videos or heard of incidences where law enforcement in the post-George Floyd days, where law enforcement could have and probably should have engaged in, in utilizing deadly force against a suspect. They did not, and as a result, people got hurt, including them. I'll never forget this one video. It's a horrific video where this this female police officer, you know, she she had time to pull her gun and stop a guy from attacking her. But she hesitated. And she even said afterwards in, in, in her ICU bed, she even claimed afterwards that she didn't want to be, you know, the next, the next, uh, she didn't want this to be the next George Floyd incident. She hesitated because of the effects of, of this, this campaign to, to demonize local law enforcement. I'm not going to say that every, that they're always justified. I, I know for a fact that they aren't always justified. But this isn't a 2023 thing. This has been the case for ever. I mean, for I mean, this is this is inherent in law enforcement. There's going to be good cops. There's going to be bad cops, and some of the bad cops are going to take it too far. That's the nature of the job. I'm not defending them by any means. I'm just saying this isn't new. So I'll disagree with that part. I don't think that police shootings of unarmed citizens is going to be be ramped up in 2023. Sorry, John and Nisha. Love you guys. Agree with most of what you say. This isn't one of them. Next, false flags and terrorist attacks. Almost every tyranny uh, being perpetrated by the U.S. government against the citizenry purportedly to keep us safe and the nation secure has come about as a result of some threat manufactured in one way or another by our own government. This has become the shadow government's modus operandi, regardless of which party is in power. The government creates a menace, knowing full well the ramifications uh, ramifications what is he saying here? Knowing full well the ramifications such a danger might pose. Okay, gotcha. Sorry. That one, I can't blame that on my throat. That's just me not being able to read well. <laughs> this has become the shadow government's modus operandi, regardless of which party is in power. The government creates a menace knowing full well the ramifications such a danger might pose to the public, then without ever owning up to the, the part it played in unleashing the particular menace on an unsuspecting populace. It depends additional or it demands additional powers in order to protect we the people from the threat. And again, that per- perfect example is the the aforementioned Gretchen Whitmer uh, kidnapping plot. It was manufactured, in my humble opinion. I know that the the, the judge saw otherwise, and and you, know, you could blame the defense, you could blame the court system, the corrupt judiciary, whatever. But uh, I I still think that that. Uh, had the FBI not gotten involved, that there would not have been a threat to be concerned about in the first place. I would say that the FBI, part to, or somebody, we'll, we'll just say government, I don't want to specifically accuse the FBI, someone within government, whether they were proxies of government, paid paid contractors, or maybe they're undercover agents of some sort, whatever, whoever they are, they pushed and they initiated the the January 6th entry into the Capitol building. That was them. So if they hadn't pushed for this, would there have been these crimes? I would argue there would not have been. I would argue that cooler heads would have prevailed, that the people that were there to truly just protest and have their voices heard would have prevented people from getting lost in the moment and entering the Capitol building. I would also argue that if they really wanted to do something, instead of in, instead of infiltrating the groups with FBI agents, why didn't they allow 
the Na- why did they literally stop? Nancy Pelosi and the Capitol Police stopped the National Guard from being there. Why? Because they wanted it to happen. So when he's talking about false flags and and uh, terrorist attacks, that's it. That's what they're. That's what they mean by that. Yes, there are false flags and, and false terrorist attacks that are probably going to happen in 2023. We could even look at some of the shootings. I'm not going to get into some Sandy Hook, Alex Jones conspiracy here. You know, I don't want to, not because I, I just don't want to get sued. <laughs> okay. I don't think, I, I don't have a billion dollars that I could pay in a lawsuit. But I will say that, that you know, if you look back, some, maybe maybe one, maybe maybe multiple ones, maybe none. I don't know. But some of the mass shootings that took place during that rash right before they were able to pass gun support, gun control, okay, conveniently notice how they stopped after the gun control was passed but you know some of the events that led up to that uh, some of the shootings may have been false flags i don't know again above my pay grade i don't have access to that kind of information all i can do is read the tea leaves as best i can try to see the writing on the wall and understand what's happening what is the direction of the world and i agree with john and nisha whitehead on this particular point false flag and terrorist attacks could be coming more in 2023. Next, endless wars to keep America's military empire employed. Uh, I don't like the wording there, but I agree. There will be more wars, and we've already got the one in Ukraine. But let's see what they have to say. The military and security industrial complexes that have advocated that the U.S. remain at war year after year are the very entities that will continue to profit the most from America's expanding military empire abroad and here at home. I mean, I guess... To some extent, I agree. I, you know, listen, we, we aren't engaged in wars today. Now it's even, I get arguably worse, you know, not worse in, in that we're not putting, uh, thankfully, we're not putting our troops in harm's way, but we're investing a whole lot more than into Ukraine than even we did. I mean, 20 years in Afghanistan, uh, we spent a crap ton of money, trillions of dollars, right? But if you were to expand our aid, and continue our aid the way that, you know, for the same period of time as Afghanistan, if you were to take our aid in Ukraine and continue it, then that's even worse. And moreover, we're poking the bear for no reason. We don't, we are, well, I shouldn't say for no reason, for no good reason. There are many reasons that we are trying to antagonize Russia and trying to su- support the corrupt government of Ukraine. And let's be clear about that, just to, for anybody jumps on me and says, oh, you know, what? you must be a Putin apologist. Look, I'm against the aid to Ukraine because the aid is not helping. It is harming the people of Ukraine. I am all for ending the suffering of the people in Ukraine. And the fastest, the, the suffering would have already ended had we just not gotten involved. We have extended their suffering. The United States of America and our Western allies and, and NATO have harmed, directly harmed the people of Ukraine. By extending this war on behalf of the one of the most corrupt governments in the world, I am I can support Ukraine and I can condemn Vladimir Putin and the Russians, and I can still condemn Vladimir Zelensky and the Ukrainian government. These are not mutually exclusive perspectives. Should Russia have invaded? No. Should we have? Was there war? Their regional conflict just? Probably not. Maybe it was. There have been people that have tried to convince me it was. I'm not going to get into that debate, okay, at all. I just don't have enough information. I see conflicting information all the time. 
And this is one of those things where unless you're sure, you don't chime in. So, you know, debate all you want about whether or not this is a righteous war, that Putin's just trying to do whatever. I don't care. Okay. All I know is for sure is this, is that had we not gotten involved, Russians would have gone in. They would have probably gotten rid of Zelensky. They probably would have put in a puppet government. They would have left. And by now, you know, the, the people of Ukraine would be well on their way to recovery. Moreover, the relationships between Russia and the, the nations across the European Union would be better, at least from a trade perspective, and they wouldn't be concerned about whether or not they're going to, to run out of firewood because they're not going to have any natural gas because they can only get so much from the United States, who's now supplying the liquid natural gas to countries like Germany. Okay, the, this domino effect, we have, we have shot ourselves in the foot. No, I shouldn't say that. We shot both of our feet, both of our legs, and both of our arms on this one. And we've done tremendous harm to the people of Ukraine as well as the people of the United States of America and across the globe for the sake of, as John and Nisha Whitehead put it, for the sake of continuing the profits uh, of the the military-industrial complex. Now, that's just a side gig, by the way. That's or not a side gig, but that's just a, a cherry on top. It's an incentive to keep everybody going as well as a smokescreen to cloud the real intentions here from the, the globalist elite cabal. We could say, oh, this is all military industrial complex. This is all about profit. This is all about, about everybody's making a buck off of war. You know, we could say that. That is part of the incentive. But the reality is this, that it is the globalist elite cabal that is driving this from every angle. They want to use this conflict and the aid and the further conflict and the next conflict and then the aid after that and then whatever and then to initiate the collapse of Western economy, Western capitalism, Western society in general. They want us to collapse. They envision a world with 10 regional powers. These 10 regional powers will all fall under a single world government. And these conspiracy theories, we didn't make them up. These conspiracy theories are what they discussed openly, they being people like Klaus Schwab and Henry Kissinger back in the 70s. Don't tell me that we're trying to make this stuff up because we're not. We're just echoing what they've already said, and now we're witnessing it, it materializing in front of our faces. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing, but it's not funny. Yeah, this is this is crazy stuff. We are pushing for endless war, but I think it's actually deeper than what John and Anisha Whitehead say here. They've got their blinders on on this one. They don't like American imperialism. I get it. But it's far worse than what they even realize. After the break, I do believe we are actually going to be able to finish off this list that's gone from one to four segments. So stay tuned. My good friend, Dr. Vladimir Zelenko, he left us way too early. So sad that he is gone, uh, but his legacy does continue. We do still support his foundation. We still support his company that is still benefiting the, the masses across the world. Those who have either been jabbed or maybe you've been been um, exposed to those who may be shedding on you. That's uh, becoming more and more likely as being the case more times you're jabbed, the worse off you are, and the more you're likely to shed on others. 
Now, even if you've never been jabbed, you're not around other people very often, you should still consider getting Z-Detox or Z-Stack Life Protocol, either one. Both of them will help your immune system. It's been demonstrated by scientists, demonstrated by doctors, including Dr. Zeb Zelenko. So go to zstacklife.com slash freedom. That's zstacklife.com slash freedom and get Z-Detox or Z-Stack Life Protocol today. Just as a quick housekeeping note, we are in the process. If you're listening to this on America Talk, America Out Loud Talk Radio or anywhere else, then this is radio to you, of course. But some of you are probably watching this on on video. Now, those who have watched my show before, you know that. My my standard, I, I do videos, like actual live videos. I get in front of the camera. Yeah, we've got where we're expanding the show. My new producers start on January 16th, so that'll be fun. We're getting new, revamping the studio. We got new equipment coming, even a new computer. This is all good stuff. We're expanding the show nicely. This show, though, is technically different. This is the, the radio version. Yes, I'm sharing my screen as I discuss these stories, but <clears throat> this is the radio version we are moving towards towards having two shows one that is a radio show and one that is a show with with video Uh, both will be two hours long both will be uh (laughs) but as i've i think i've demonstrated well i keep demonstrating over and over again these 17 and a half minute segments i don't know man i mean i'm not i can we're we're on to over an hour now talking about this one article i was intending on talking about four or five articles there was a time when in the beginning when I was very naive and I was ready with 15 articles because I see all these guys out there, they can go through and they can buzz through, you know, talk about one article or one story, one topic, one video, whatever, talk about it for three or four or five minutes and move on. I can't do that. Or I can, I'm sure. I'll probably have to train myself to do that to some extent. But (laughs) I mean, when you get an article like this by John and Nisha Whitehead over the Rutherford Institute, that is, has so much meat on the bones, especially these lists, man, I could just go. So the point is, is that if you are, regardless of where you're listening, please let me know and give me some insight. Give me some, some feedback. I've, I will listen to your feedback. The, the content goes directly to me. If you go to jdrucker.com slash talk, that comes directly to me. So no filters, no administrative assistant. You know, the people that are calling, writing in and saying, hey, you stupid son of Mario. Yeah, I read those too. (laughs) And usually I laugh at them. But if there's good constructive criticism, I'll take it, folks. I will listen to you. I want these shows to be as, I want you to crave them. I want you to be like, oh, man, I can't wait till the next time J.D. Rucker's on the air. That's not an ego thing, by the way. This is because, as I've mentioned many times, I am not happy with conservative or alternative media today. Far too many people are still getting the news from Fox News or from from even Newsmax. And I know a lot of you, especially uh, Newsmax, like, oh, you know, Newsmax is great. Yeah, Newsmax has some good. 
but there's a lot of a lot of bad. There's a lot of Republican establishment shill stuff going on there. There's a lot of oh, don't don't mention the vaccines, don't mention voter fraud, don't mention anything. You know, you'll get banned. I think they banned Laura Logan, who I'm, I'm going to be having on my show here very soon. They banned Laura Logan for whatever reason. I mean, idiocy. And then of course, oh, you, the Fox News listeners, yeah, but what about Tucker? What about Tucker? I get it. I like Tucker. Okay, but for the most part, the rest of them are, are awful. Okay. Sean Hannity is is absolutely worthless. He is fully 100% a shill for the Republican establishment and people will say, "Oh my gosh, but he's a he's he's like one of Trump's greatest confidants." Yeah, I would say that he's the he's the Republican establishment's um whatever you conduit through which they can reach Trump and get him to endorse uh, Kevin McCarthy or endorse uh uh Mehmet Oz or whatever. I think that they they use Sean Hannity to guide Trump in many ways in the wrong direction. A direction that that Donald Trump I don't believe would go if it weren't for the advice of some of the people. And it's not just Hannity, but he's from a media perspective, I think he would be the main one. You know, you got Laura Ingram, she's she's great sometimes, and then sometimes I disagree with her a lot. Okay. Uh, the only, I mean, there's the, and then you got the rest, pretty much the rest at Fox news are just awful. Maybe I'm forgetting somebody. I know people say, Oh, well, what about Bongino or what about, uh, Mark Levin or whatever? <laughs> Look, it's, it is what it is. People will listen to who they want. Point I'm trying to make is this. I think that there is a need for more honest, conservative, Christian, alternative media and, that's not like a lifetime goal of mine, but I'm one of those guys. I see a need. Somebody's got to do it, and nobody's stepping up. Not enough people are stepping up. There are others that are stepping up, but not nearly enough. And as we look at the world, we li- watch this list unfold from John and Nisha Whitehead, and we think about all the things that we're facing, these existential threats, this perfect storm, the polycrises that we're, we're engaged in, this fight against evil fight against the powers and principalities then yeah i i can't wake up in the morning and say okay well today i'm gonna go uh i think i'm gonna go watch some netflix and uh and maybe maybe do a little bit of work unfortunately unfortunately for my family i'm i do this nonstop, and it's something that i'm blessed with a family that's very understanding but i know that long term it's going to do damage, and it probably already has. But I can't give them a world. I, I can't give my children a world and, and expect them to to grow up happy and healthy and, and faithful and not beholden to government when I see that all of the things that I grew up with are being destroyed, all of the good things that we're in this world are being suppressed, subverted, quashed, annihilated in many cases, or at least decimated into near nothingness. So we all make sacrifices. I'm not trying to toot my horn here or say, woe is me. I'm just telling you that I will continue to push these shows as hard as I can. And I'm asking you if you can, if you like what you're hearing, like what you see, like what you read on my various sites, such as discernreport.com, americafirstreport.com. 
I'm editor over at thelibertydaily.com. Check these places out. Share them. Share the show. Help me. Uh, was the line from, from Jerry Maguire? Help me help you. Help me help you. Let's work on this together. Let's work on fixing the world together. Because alone, nobody can do it. Rush Limbaugh tried. He couldn't do it. Tucker Carlson tries. He can't do it. Donald Trump tries. He couldn't do it. Alone, they are all outmatched. We are all outmatched. Maybe even together we're outmatched, but let's at least try. I'm not going to give up. I got kids. I'm Lord willing. I'll have grandkids someday. And I want the world to be good enough for them to be able to be faithful servants of God, to be able to enjoy at least some of the freedoms and wonderful blessings that we've received as Americans. Oh, great. Now, this might extend to five segments, just trying to get through this article, just because I had to go off on that rent, rant, or not rent, <laughs> rant. Apologies there, but let's move on. Erosion. Again, we're talking, for those who weren't there in the beginning, an hour and a half ago, uh, we're, we're reading an article and commenting on an article by John and Nisha Whitehead about things to expect, things to watch, the real threats that are coming from our own government here in the United States of America in 2023. And the next one is erosion of private property. And this goes back, folks, I mean, private property, people sometimes forget that this is a biblical concept here. Okay, this isn't just, oh, you know, property is is some manifestation of capitalism. Before before there was any even such a, an idea of capitalism, there was private property. Is it's inherent in us as humans to want to own and defend our land, our property, the things that we build, the things that we grow, the, the, the things that we work on. It's part of being human. So erosions of private property. Private property means little at a time when SWAT teams and other government agencies can invade your home, break down your doors, kill your dog, wound or kill you, damage your furnishings, and terrorize your family. Likewise, if government officials can fine and arrest you for growing vegetables in your front yard, for praying with friends in your living room, installing solar panels on your roof, and raising chickens in your backyard, you're no longer the owner of your property. And let's face it, I mean, that's exactly what's happening. We've been seeing this erosion of private property for decades. It's not new, but it is the the... This is where, you know, for those who didn't hear the opening, I was saying that what we're seeing in 2023 is the the deep state combining with the police state to do the bidding of the nanny state. And this is exactly what we mean by the nanny state. I remember, I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was actually Gretchen Whitmer up in Michigan who had forbade, I mean, had them block off, block off seeds at the store, make it to where... You couldn't go. You weren't allowed to go to the store to buy seeds. And that had something to do with COVID. What? I mean, what? That had something to do with COVID lockdowns. Are you kidding me? I mean, how stupid do they think we are? Apparently, they think that we're really, really stupid. Because that's the dumbest thing ever. Okay? That's one of those things where it's like, 
Somebody even suggests, well, we've got to prevent them from buying seeds so that we can stop the, pre- the spread of COVID-19. Okay, that's where you say, okay, you you need to, to, to resign immediately, okay? You're governor of a state. You shouldn't be in charge of your own of your own household because that's idiocy. I mean, that's like that's like you should probably get special assistance and somebody should be taking care of you and wiping the slobber from your mouth if you really think that that plant buying and planting seeds to grow your own food at a time when there's a brewing food crisis that stopping that from happening makes any sense at all in a way that's supposed to prevent COVID-19 from spreading. Okay. That is dumb. (laughs) Yes. She won re-election allegedly. So yeah, they're coming after our private property big time, big time. And they will continue until we stop them. If we possibly can. Next, overcriminalization. The government has increasingly adopted the authoritarian notion that it knows best and therefore must control, regulate, and dictate almost everything about the citizens' citizenry's public, private, and professional lives. Overregulation and overcriminalization have been pushed to such outrageous limits that the federal and state governments now require, on penalty of a fine, that individuals apply for permission before they can grow exotic orchids host elaborate dinner parties, gather friends in one's home for Bible studies, give coffee to the homeless, let their kids manage a lemonade stand, keep chickens as pets, or braid someone's hair. Again, nanny state, nanny state, nanny state. Next one, strip searches and the denigration of bodily integrity. Court rulings undermining the Fourth Amendment and justifying invasive strip searches have left us powerless against police empowered to uh, forcefully draw our blood, forcefully take our DNA, strip search us, and probe us intimately. Individuals, men and women alike, continue to be subjected to what is essentially government-sanctioned rape by police in the course of routine traffic stops. And it is getting worse in in that regard. I'm not going to comment on that because, well, it speaks for itself. The next one, censorship. First Amendment activities are being pummeled, punched, kicked, choked, chained, and generally gagged all across the country. Free speech zones, bubble zones, trespass zones, anti-bullying legislation, zero-tolerance policies, hate crime laws, and a host of other legalistic maladies dreamed up by politicians and prosecutors have conspired to corrode our core freedoms. The reason for such censorship. The reasons for such censorship vary widely from political correctness, safety concerns, and bullying to national security and hate crimes, but the end result remains the same, the complete eradication of what Benjamin Franklin referred to as the principal pillar of a free government. Now, we've talked about censorship ad nauseum, and I would say refer to my past shows from my perspectives there, but as we're learning with every subsequent Twitter file, this is the, the problem is exponentially bigger than your average normie American citizen has any idea about. So, and that's a whole show, and I'm not going to get started on a brand new show until we're done with this show. We will talk more about censorship in the future. Last item on uh, John and Nisha Whitehead's list, taxation without any real representation. 
As the Princeton University survey indicates, our elected officials, especially those in the nation's capital, represent the interests of the rich and powerful rather than the average citizen. We are no longer a representative republic. With big business and big government having fused into a corporate state, the president and his state counterparts, the governors, have become little more than CEOs of the corporate state, which day by day is assuming more government control over our lives. Never before have average Americans had to had so little say in the workings of their government and even less access to their so-called representatives. Representation, a, a representative government, a republic as we are, a constitutional republic, requires access. You know, the, there's one, if, if nothing else positive comes out of the, the uh, GOP takeover of the House of Representatives, at the very least, Kevin McCarthy has his one one good act. Maybe it's the only good thing that he does, but he has declared that they are reopening the House of Representatives, the the Congress. They're reopening it to the public so that we can have transparency, so that we can have accountability. January 6th, which, as I said many, many times, was manufactured by our own government. January 6th should not happen again. I'm not saying it won't because that would be naive. I'm not a fortune teller. But it, if it does happen again, anything similar to that, it will be as a result of the government initiating it. We don't want to harm, maim, or kill people. We just want accountability. That's it. We want representatives, not, not people telling us what we need to do or not do. We want them to listen to us. We want them to do what we expect them to do, what we elected them allegedly to do that's not asking too much i'll put this story again in the show notes uh you can find it at discernreport.com i'll probably put it up at thelibertydaily.com you can find it everywhere great job by john and nisha whitehead over at the rutherford institute after the break looks like i'm probably only gonna get to one more story so so uh so be it stay tuned There's a reason Klaus Schwab, Joe Biden, and the globalist elites want your life savings locked in IRAs and other portfolio management schemes that they control. They can keep your money tied up in woke ESG funds, even if doing so will lose you money. Patriots are quickly moving their investments to self-directed IRAs backed by physical precious metals. Unfortunately, most companies that work in this field are beholden to Democrats the Chinese Communist Party, the WEF, and others who are pushing us toward a digital dollar. I have identified three precious metals companies that believe in America first. These companies make it easy for you to move your retirements and investment to a self-directed IRA backed by physical precious metals. Go to jdrucker.com slash gold. That's jdrucker.com slash gold. Yeah, my intention was to, the next story was going to be one that I had actually written over the weekend. Uh, well, before the weekend, it was, it was technically, I guess, technically speaking, it was last Saturday morning 
uh, early, early morning, shortly after the uh, uh, the vote that finally finally put Kevin McCarthy in as Speaker of the House in Congress. Yeah, shortly after that, I wrote written an article about how there were certain things that we need to to shift. Those of us who were or are America First patriots who are opposed to McCarthy as Speaker of the House, it's time for us to shift our perspectives. Obviously, not to you know people say, "Oh my gosh, don't embrace him." No, no, it's not that we're going to embrace him. But but now that he's in there, now that we can't stop that from happening, now we need to hold his feet to the fire because he has made some promises that are very important. Promises that if he is able to keep. We, you know, we we will be able to salvage at least some of his time as Speaker of the House. We'll be able to get certain things done. Just as an example, he says he plans to defund the eighty-seven thousand IRS agents if he's able to somehow accomplish that. And as having you know, being Speaker of the House, they do have control over the purse. So if they can accomplish that, that would be a benefit. Now, look, I've never said that we have to have America First only patriots in our in our legislatures uh, at the state and local and even definitely at the national level. I'm not saying that we have to have America first patriots. And if we don't, that your average milk toast rhino neocon Republican is not going to be able to do anything. Look, they are better than Democrats, just marginally so in many cases. The Uniparty swamp has a right side and a left side and a central side. And yes, I do believe McCarthy is there, but that doesn't mean that the the uh, arrangements he's made in order to to become Speaker of the House, that he won't keep those. But if if we are to make sure that he does keep those promises, such as getting rid of or defunding the 87,000 incoming IRS agents for the Biden-Harris regime, if he's going to do that, then we need to hold his feet to the fire. We need to say, hey, you promised this, so where are the results? Make it happen or or get out of the way. You know, there's that line from Tombstone where uh, during the, the big shootout at the OK Corral, you know, Ike comes running out. He's like, I don't, I don't have a gun. I don't, don't shoot. I don't have a gun. And Wider put, you know, shoves him down. He says, he said, get the fight here. Get, get out of the way, Ike, or whatever, you know, and there's this weird, weird little scene there, but whatever. <laughs> I don't know what that has to do with Kevin McCarthy. I just think of, of Ike's character in Tombstone and Kevin McCarthy's being pretty, pretty close to the same thing, kind of evil, definitely sinister and kind of slithering and, and also weak in many ways, but whatever. We're he's we're stuck with him, but I'm going to skip that story, or I guess I didn't skip it. I I glazed over it for uh, the first couple of minutes of this this final segment. I the reason I want to skip over that one is because this other one I think is is in many ways more important. It's an article we have it posted over at AmericaFirstReport.com as well as DiscernReport.com. It's an article by Brandon Smith titled "Is There a Way to Stop Inflation Without Crushing the Economy and Killing the Dollar?" Now it's a long article. I'm probably only be able to, going to be able to get to the first first half of it, which is the important half, because my intention here is to get everybody thinking along those lines, to start thinking, what can you do? What can you do in your local community? What can you do amongst your circle of friends, family, co-workers? How can we start to get more allies at the local level? Because that's going to be so important, whether because of the central bank digital currencies that result in a an impressive digital dollar, or if there is, let's say, there is a future economic collapse that causes societal collapse, and and we have to, we no longer have a supply chain that crosses the the nation and crosses the globe. Now we really do have to only only work with what we have, what's within driving distance or even walking distance, if fuel, of course, is, is part of, if energy is part of the collapse, 
of society, we'll need to be able to get the things that we need at the local level. But even if you and, and let's take let's take those two worst case scenarios aside of societal collapse or central bank digital currencies, even if things just continue to get bad, it behooves us as American citizens, as America first patriots, to build the infrastructure or even particular when I say build, keep in mind, chances are somebody in your local area is already building it. And I hate to say, oh, go to Facebook and find your local Facebook group, but that might not be a bad idea. I, I the reason I don't I hate to say it is because I never want to tell anybody to go to Facebook. I don't go to Facebook, but maybe you can find like-minded people in your local area. That's the key. So let me get to the let me get going in the article itself and then you'll you'll start getting the idea of what what I believe is so important here. And I'm going to read fast, so I apologize, because, again, it is a long article, but there are important parts to it that must be highlighted. One of the most dishonest games being played in economics today is the attempt by various groups, political and financial, to deflect blame for the rise of inflation. The Biden White House and Democrats desperately want to blame Russia and the war in Ukraine, even though inflation was spiking long before the war ever started. The Federal Reserve pretended for years that inflation was not a threat at all, despite numerous alternative economists such as Brandon Smith, that's what he is, by the way, alternative economists warning what would happen. Now they blame supply chain disruptions instead of their own monetary policies. The GOP wants to blame Biden alone for the crisis while ignoring the dominant role of the Fed in the economy and their unilateral power over the course of multiple presidencies. In the alternative sphere, there are some people that try to deny the fact that there is more than one type of inflation. They want to claim it's all about money creation. This is simply not true. There is inflation in money supply, but there's also price inflation caused by numerous factors, including bottlenecks in production, bottlenecks in resources, bottlenecks in shipping, bottlenecks in energy, etc. Anyone that denies this fact is blinded by bias or just doesn't understand how inflation really works. Overall, it's fair, according to the evidence, to put most of the blame in the central banks, in their 14-year program of bailouts and QE policies, quantitative easing. If you have read my previous articles on the Fed's involvement, you know that my position has remained the same for years. I predicted a stagflationary crisis based on the position that the Fed was deliberately creating a monetary disaster to make way for a new digital currency system tied to a global framework, and this is exactly what has happened so far. I'm going to take a pause right there in the article to take note of something. Look, as I said a couple segments ago, I am not I am not like a lifelong conspiracy theory guy. I used to I used to to laugh at many of the conspiracy theorists that today today I echo their sentiment. Today I say, "Oh my gosh, they were right." You know, obviously Everybody knows about Alex Jones's various predictions that that he was talking about with the New World Order and with globalism and with all of these various things he was talking about in the early 2000s that are now coming to pass. It's important that we, when we're trying to figure out who, where do we get our news today, where do we get our, our guidance from a journalistic perspective, even from a leadership perspective today, do we look to the same old, same old? You know, the Sean Hannity's of the world. I say no. I say we need to look towards those who have been right all along, or at least have had moments of clarity ahead of the curve. People who like Brandon Smith over at alt-market.us, who he's been he has been predicting exactly what we're seeing 
including the digital currencies, the the central bank digital currencies and the potential for a digital dollar. He was talking about this years ago. And he said that it was going to be tied to stagflation. He said it was going to be tied to the horrible policies of the Fed, as well as horrible policies by presidents and, and legislatures in both parties. And that's exactly what we're seeing. Look, President Trump, the economy under Trump was absolutely amazing, but there were flaws. There were errors that were made during even his presidency that have enabled what we're seeing today. Uh, obviously, the big one is his his decision, and it was his decision. We can uh, cast the blame all we want on Burks and Fauci, but it was his decision to lock down the United States for allegedly two weeks. And, of course, we saw that turned into two years. Is Trump to blame for that? Well, yes. Yes, he is. I know that the diehard Trump supporters are going to be like, oh, no, you know, he was misled. He was this and was that. Well, then come out and say that. Okay, come out and say that the vaccines don't work. I haven't heard him say that yet. Come out and say that the vaccines, he was misled on them. He was misled about Operation Warp Speed. He was misled about face masks. He was misled about lockdowns. If you were to come out and say that, okay, maybe I could say, well, you know, it wasn't his fault. At least he's acknowledging that, but he hasn't. So, yes, I do blame Trump for that. Obviously, during the Trump era, I did not. You know, I, I love the economy. Even during the lockdowns and after the lockdowns, I said, you know what? This sucks. And we're not, this is the wrong path to go. But at least with four more years of Trump, we will be able to recover. Unfortunately, they stole that from us. So now we are not recovering. And that's, that's, uh, that's on us. You know, if I, I can blame Trump all I want for, uh, for the lockdowns, but I have to turn to us, those of us in conservative media, those of you who maybe we just didn't fight hard enough. And I would think, you know, when I say fight hard enough to expose the theft of the 2020 election, maybe we, we fought too hard. Maybe there was nothing we could ever have done. I don't know. Maybe there was nobody to blame other than the evil people that perpetrated it. Maybe that's the case. Maybe this is exactly how it's supposed to play out. I would say that's probably the case. <laughs> I would say if you are a Bible-believing Christian who believes that the will of God reigns supreme, then that is obviously definitely the case. But let's get back to the article. I don't want to have another incident where I talk about one subject for two or three or four segments, especially since this is the last segment. <laughs> so better hurry. Uh, that said, too much money chasing, too few goods is not the only problem we face as a nation. There is also the issue of global interdependency and our reliance on other countries, some of them hostile, for production and resources. With supply chain disruptions and ever-present danger, it's not enough to focus on money velocity and the central bank alone. We won't be solving the crisis that way. Not to mention, the more the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, the more it costs to support U.S. government debt, which is already well beyond U.S. GDP. If doubts rise over the U.S. being able to pay for its treasury debts, then foreign creditors may dump their T-bond and dollar holding ent entirely. This could destroy the buying power of the dollar. And again, I think that's part of the part of the plan. In the liberty movement, there is always debate about solutions. We all seem to agree on the core problems, but can't ever seem to agree on what to do about them. There are those that suggest there's nothing that can be done economically except prepare and wait for collapse so we can rebuild once the dust has settled. I find myself in this camp more often than not, and as do I, by the way. 
Then there are those that believe a political approach is possible. After nearly half of the states in the U.S. blocked the COVID mandates and lockdowns, I am starting to think solutions at the state level might be viable. And I would agree there as well. Then there are those who want to build an alternative system, a parallel economy that competes with the mainstream economy. This is something I've discussed for a long time. It's the reason I started Alt Market 12 years ago. It's the ideal solution because it is proactive. Instead of waiting around for other people to fix the crisis for us, regular people simply establish their own trade and production systems based on necessity, separating from the dying economy so that when it collapses, they are mostly unaffected. Hmm. This, however, is a short-term solution. In that large-scale domestic production is eventually needed to return a country and economy to greater prosperity. Growing gardens, making trade items, and forming local barter markets is only a way to weather the storm. It is not a long-term path to fiscal health. What we need is locally-based large-scale production of necessities, as well as our own domestic resource discovery. In order to fight back against monetary decline, the U.S. needs to produce a majority of its own goods again. If the problem is too much money chasing too few goods, then we can make our own goods here at home instead of relying on countries like China and the unstable global supply chain. Ah, novel idea. But what if there is an answer beyond domestic production alone? What if we built an economy which focuses on quality? It's a notion that might have been suggested by others, but it is certainly not being promoted by any economist within the mainstream, or any political representative. There again, I'm going to uh, leave this article available for you over at um, discernreport.com, americafirstreport.com, noqreport.com, and thelibertydaily.com, and probably freedomfirstnetwork.com. Yes, I've got a lot of places where I post. I'm going to leave this article there because I would strongly recommend you guys you guys uh, read this. Okay, there's some good ideas in here. There's some pretty radical ideas, but they are good. And one of the main things that he talks about is that we need to return to quality. You know, right now we have because the the powers that be, those who are pushing, you know, against capitalism and trying to to change it completely to what what Klaus Schwab has called for years stakeholder capitalism. You know, this idea that we need to essentially own nothing and be as happy as we're allowed to be, I guess. That concept is based on the notion that you have to have quality items because they want to produce less. You have to go back to, you know, the, uh, I hate to call it third world countries because not all of them are third world countries, but at least that third world country mentality of you buy something and you keep it for a long, long time and you fix it and you, and you extend its life as long as you can. You know, th- there was a time not to, I mean, gosh, when I was growing up, we weren't buying phones every year or every two years or twice a year or anything like that. Why? Well, we didn't have these cell phones that kept getting upgraded. You got a phone. You kept that phone until you couldn't hear anybody through it anymore or until it, it fell and broke and plastic shattered or until the ringer, you, 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 maybe you wanted to upgrade to, to a, a wireless phone. I remember my first wireless phone. It was just a, it was such a, a freeing moment. Then yes, I'm old. I get it. Okay, I did have a phone where you literally had to dial the number. You had to turn the number. I, I don't know if my kids would know how to operate that. Okay, <laughs> they probably could figure it out, but you get the idea. You know, today, people get phones once a year, twice a year, or at the very least, every two or three or four years. Okay, but we keep replacing it. 
It's not that the, they're not cheap, but the quality, the need to upgrade is inherent in modern society. We have to change that. We need to develop things that, I mean, there's this, there's our ways to create the hardware that can be upgraded through software solutions. We can even take the iPhone and have one iPhone for 10 years that's, that's still modernized. Of course, that would cut into Apple's profits. So, of course, they're not going to do it. We need to figure out a way to get back to that, to get back to the days where you buy something and it's good and solid. Damn it, I ran out of time. I'm going to pick this story up tomorrow because, unfortunately, uh, you know, it's being on this time time schedule that I, I can't, I've got to learn how to squeeze everything I want to say into 17 and a half minute segments. That's a, a growing process for me. So, so bear with me, folks. I will get better at this, um, better at being more, more professional because that's what people have said. You know, I've asked for feedback. They say, just, you know, be more, more organized, more professional. We like what you're saying, but just figure out how to say it in a more concise manner. I get it. I'm going to do it. We're going to do that going forward. Lord willing, I will be back very soon with another episode. But in the meantime, you all stay strong, stay safe, and God bless.